You are listening to Mountain Bike Radio. Hey, 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 it's D2 from Drunk Cyclist here with 40 Hands, who is inexplicably laying on the ground because his back hurts. I wrenched up my back. <laughs> Hi, hey, podcast listeners. My back's fucked, so I'm lying on the ground for this for this intro I'm not, recording. I'm not going to lie. It's a, it's a little awkward. <laughs> <laughs> it's very comfortable for me, though. I don't care. Well, we... we we have a special podcast today. Uh, it's different than the normal because we have a, a guest on the show, uh, and and I, I will assure you now that Forty Hands did not conduct the entire interview while lying on the ground. He actually was sitting in a chair like a normal fucking sitting interview. in a rocking chair. It was great. Yeah. Uh, so, but we do have a special a special guest, and I'll, I'll I'll refrain from saying who it is because uh, it does get revealed. Uh, when we start the interview, it's pretty awesome. Stick around. Uh, it's it's somebody that if you don't already respect and admire this person, you you really should. Um, we're actually recording this intro after the fact, so we we already recorded the intro. Uh, I'm still drinking my beer from said interview. Because uh, you had a bomber. Yeah, because I'm so I'm drunk completely, and and uh, Mr. Forty Hands is while lying on the ground is actually sober. Uh, a little bit embarrassing twice now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, without giving away who who the uh, the interviewee is, do you want to you want to say something about how awesome it is and why they should continue to listen? Uh, you know, there are very very few people that we can actually claim to be class acts who would associate with us, and there's also very few people who would associate with us who are just fucking awesome mountain bikers. And this person falls under both those categories. So continue to listen. Um, it's worth your time, yeah. and I mean, let's face it: you're at work trying to avoid work. So yeah, totally. And I'm and I'm guessing now that she has she has uh, gave away that she's a she. Uh, but I'm not. I'm guessing now that she's done the interview, she will never speak to us again. So this is. I hope not. <laughs> I, I really hope not. Yeah, yeah. It's worth your time. So we're going to get right into it. Let's not waste any more of your time. Uh, here comes the interview in which you will learn. Who this awesome person is, why they're awesome. And, it's Kim uh, Jong Il's wife. It is Kim Jong Il's <laughs> wife. So here you go. Here's 50 minutes with Kim Jong Il's wife. An hour. <laughs> Welcome, mountain bike radio listeners out there. Good afternoon, evening, morning, whatever time of day it is out there for you. Uh, D2 and I, we are on a Skype call with a very special guest that we talked about. In our last podcast, uh, D two, how you doing? Oh, I'm I'm living living large over here with some some beverages. Uh, let's make let's make the rounds, and, and uh, everybody's going to say what they're drinking. And this is a good way to introduce our guest, I would think. Uh, yeah. So for, first of all, forty hands. What do you got in your hands? Uh, I am drinking the Santa Fe Brewing Happy Camper IPA. Uh, it's kind of you know a good old fashioned staple out here in the north, out here in the Rocky Mountains. And I've got a, uh, I've got, I'm body slamming you with beers right now. I've got the Lost Abbey Ten Commandments, which is amazing. Uh, it it emptied my pockets, and I'm I'm so grateful for it. So let's uh, let's get to our guest. Who uh, let's find out what uh, what our guest is drinking. And I guess she can introduce herself while she's at it. What do you think? Why not? She'll do it better than we could. <laughs> Who's on the line with us here? Sure. Hey, you guys, it's Rebecca Rush uh, here talking to you, and I think I've got you both beat here with uh, Jameson's on the rocks. <laughs> That's just one-upsmanship. That's not fair. <laughs> Wait, the real the real question is how many rocks and how many fingers? 
Yeah. One really big rock because that's you got to make the big giant ice cube, and then uh, it's probably three fingers right now. It was four. Okay. <laughs> It'll be zero before we're done, so He's that's good. Helping you to stay warm in the in the wilds of Idaho. Yeah, exactly. All right, perfect. So for those of you listening, if you couldn't figure it out by her own introduction, Rebecca Rush is online with her. Uh, so very excited. We did a proper sort of. Q&A interview with her on the yellow page last year, and now we're hoping to get into a little bit of a more in-depth interview on the podcast. And once again, we're going to throw a big thanks out to Rebecca for taking the time to do this with us, but also to everyone at Mountain Bike Radio for taking the, for allowing us to have this podcast, www.mountainbikeradio.com. Buy all sorts of gear, uh, get memberships, listen to all the great podcasts, go to iTunes and give you a review of the app and the podcast. That would really be great. All right. Now that that's out of the way, on to the important Thank stuff. Uh, <laughs> Rebecca, the, uh, the big thing I'd say in, in that kind of came out for you towards the end of last year was your book, Rush to Glory, which is available at all fine retailers out there. Um, so let's just get into it. How has it been now that to go along with being a world champion mountain biker and adventure racer, you're an author? I'll tell you the, it was the hardest thing I ever did was writing that book, um, sitting on my butt, not getting outside and actually just talking about myself the whole time. It was actually by far way harder than eco challenge, 24 hour solos, harder than anything, trying to maintain a you know, career as a professional cyclist, the book hands down was heinous. Um, <laughs> now looking back, now that it's done, I'm, I'm glad I did it, but I wouldn't have done it if people hadn't forced me into it and there wasn't a deadline. And I mean, I was, I was kind of a sad sack by the time it was all done. I was out of shape. I was depressed. And like, I'm like writing these inspirational stories while I'm sitting, you know, they're totally living a really unhealthy life. So it was really strange. Um, but now that it's done, people are reading it. You know, I haven't gotten hammered too much in the reviews. People like it. And, and it's actually a great calling card that's going to just kind of help me, help me keep spreading the love of cycling as much as I can. Great. And you just, uh, you just summed up my life with uh, your, your writing experience. Uh, yeah. I, I'm a writer as well. So it, yeah, you, you pretty much nailed it. Yeah. On your butt, oh, depressed. Yeah. <laughs> I never want to be a writer. Like I totally understood why Hemingway, <laughs> like all these famous writers, they kill themselves yeah. or alcoholics. It's right, not, right. it's not an easy job. So I'm glad I, I just know. did it the once and I could go back to my, my regular, uh, regularly programmed schedule. Right. Hire a ghostwriter next time there. <clears throat> let them suffer through it. <laughs> now, so so getting back to, I mean, how long was the process of writing a book? Because, I mean, like you have to, I'm assuming you're going back and remembering, you know, what stories you want to tell. And then you work with Celine Yeager on it and you have to get it, you know, she's going to give you feedback. It's got to be edited. You got to make revisions. And I mean, and I speak of this only having known from writing a master's thesis, which was, you know, 90 pages long and your book was over 200, right? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a nine month process. So it was like giving birth, you know, and, 
Um, <laughs> the hardest part totally was the back and forth. Like we had all these stories of stuff I'd written from race reports or eco challenge videos. And so getting the stories out wasn't that hard, but it was the refining and basically using less words instead of more and basically trying to make it interesting for somebody without like being a thousand pages and boring them to death. So the editing was super hard and that's where I really needed Celine and Velo Press. I needed people who actually knew what they were doing to kind of rein me in and kind of crack the whip on me and make me work harder. Who, who were you trying to reach with this? What, what were you trying to uh, encourage people to do or feel or, you know, aside from just writing down these great stories, what did you want people to get out of it when they finished reading the book? I knew what I didn't want it to be. I didn't want it to be like, oh, this is how rad Rebecca is. I didn't want it to be that kind of a book. And I was actually super reluctant to even write it. People have been kind of mentioning it for years. I'm like, no, no, that's stupid. Like, everyone's got a cool story. I don't want to just brag about myself. And it felt really narcissistic. But, you know, Celine and Velopress pushed me. And so I made it really clear. I don't want it to be like the Rebecca Rush hero story. Um, I wanted people to read it and see that I'm normal and I have asthma and I, you know, have struggled a bunch, but that like, if you want something, you can get off the couch and, and go do it. And why not give it a try? Whether you're old or young or fat, or you, you don't know how to ride a mountain bike or whatever it is. I wanted people to find a little adventure in their own world in some way. So if a story grabs them, then I feel like it's a success. Mm hmm. Yeah, and I actually that was something I I thought was really interesting when reading is the kind of the I don't want to say it was just a, an absolute humanizing effect, but yeah, I mean people can sort of look at you and see the the results and just go, oh my god, superhuman athlete. But then you also talked about when you went and raced at Masters uh, Worlds and how you know you're you're checking out the course the couple days before and having to practice the more technical sections. And kind of the the little bits of, of fears and insecurities and questions you have for yourself, which so many people out there who not just race bikes, but, you know, ride bikes go through. And then you sort of you can kind of feel that connection. Um, Dude, so like anyone who knows me, who's ridden a bike with me, knows that I kind of suck at technical riding. <laughs> <laughs> no, for sure. Like I'm not a good technical rider. And I came to cycling really late. It was my worst sport. I hated it. My adventure racing teammates are like, you took up cycling? Like what the fuck? Um, because, I mean, honestly, I was so bad. And even Greg, you know, my husband now, which is weird to say, it's like, I've learned from him. He's technically a way better rider. And, and where I make up time on this stuff is that I try harder. I keep going or I, I go a little further. I run during, you know, I ran the first 24 hours of Moab I did. I ran a ton of the course because I couldn't ride it. And so, like, that's normal human behavior for me. And, like, having insecurities and fears, that's something that happens every day. And I think people think that pro athletes somehow are above all that. But I think you find not just me, but pretty much all of us are insecure. And I think that's what keeps us actually keep on trying so hard is because we, we actually kind of think that we suck. Yeah. So I got a question for you now. When, you, when you're out there on a course, a question, I know, weird. Um, I, I've done a couple 24-hour races and uh, I – I embarrass the sport of 24 hour racing is what I basically do when I go out there. But you know, when you're out there and you're, you're, you're struggling and your legs hurt and you're, 
uh, and clearly not in 24 hour racing, but with what you do, when you're out there and your legs hurt and you want to stop and what is it you're thinking to keep yourself going? Because for me, it becomes this mental trap. It becomes this awful place that I go to where I, every voice is saying, stop, just give up. What, what is it that, that is in your head that keeps you going? And, you know, you've got these accolades. So clearly you've got something figured out that keeps you motivated to keep going. What is, what's going on in your brain? There's a couple of things. I, I've quit one race in my life for no good reason. Uh, you know, um, I mean, I've dropped out of other races because a teammate was ill or whatever else, but I've only really truly quit once in my life. And that was in high school, um, at a cross country meet at our regional, uh, regional, you know, meet that was to qualify us for state championships. And I was having a bad day. I was the top runner on the team and, uh, I wasn't up with the girls I was supposed to be up with. And I just stepped off the course. I had a bad attitude and I I quit and I totally jeopardized our qualifying for state, you know, cause I quit and then the second place runner sprained her ankle or something happened. And so all of a sudden, you know, our points are total in jeopardy. The coach, my mom, everybody's after the race, what happened? Are you okay? Are you okay? And I was so embarrassed cause I had no answer one to just say, yeah, I just quit. You know, that was lame. And then all the rest of my team is basically bummed at me cause we, we, only qualified for state by like one point, like we almost didn't make it, you know, mm-hmm. and we were one of the best teams in the state. Like we went on to take second and that I remember that to the day, like I still remember how bad that felt to quit and then go answer to all my friends and my coach and my teammates that like, yeah, I, I let you guys all down and I let myself down. And that scar is so deep that I remember the pain of quitting and so, you know, I've finished races last where they're clearing up the finish line. They're taking all the course away. And I still would rather finish and be the one where everybody's like, oh, look at that lady. Sweet. She finished instead of like, oh, she quit. And so it's yeah, it's a really powerful motivator for me not to quit because I'm embarrassed by it basically. And I don't like that person. And so I don't quit, even if it's super, super hard. And in those super long races, you know, I also think there's a couple things. One of my adventure racing friends said to me once when I was going to Morocco for my first eco challenge. And he said, Rebecca, you can run across the hot coals or you can walk across the hot coals. And so it's like the fastest way to the finish line is just to keep going. The fastest way to end the pain is just to keep going and get there. Mm-hmm. So childhood scarring, basically. Got yeah, I love. <laughs> I was going to say much, it goes a long yeah. way. Remember that, everybody. We, childhood scarring we, goes a long way. <laughs> yeah, shame your kids. Yeah. We all have childhood <laughs> scarring. Yeah, we're living with it every day. Right, no, right. and I, I think I also listening to that story um, and you know remember it from the book. I. It's great that, and also very interesting that you kind of took that team mentality of, oh, I let people down in the, in the ninth or 10th grade. And you now, as you've transitioned to more individual sports, you've, you've still kept that mindset, um, where there's not, you know, a teammate necessarily you're letting down. It's really just yourself and the people around you. So that's, and you've also done that over the course of what, 35, 40 years of competitive, uh, sport. Yeah. And I mean, it's letting sponsors down. It's like seeing your name on a list as a DNF. It's, you know, it's social sort of, uh, peer pressure is really powerful and you can turn that into a good thing. And it's also everybody out there is hurting. Everybody's suffering from the first to the last person. You know, I get people who say, Oh, well, Leadville's easy for you, huh? Yeah. You, you're going to win it. You win it. It's so easy. I'm like, it is not easy at the front. You know, we are, 
you're going, you know, pinned red line. It may be only for seven and a half hours instead of 12 hours, but it's certainly not easy at the front. Yeah. And from what I remember that year, we, we heckled you guys at, at Louisville <clears throat> where so many strong people were 35 to 40 seconds apart, it seemed. So you always have someone in sight that you have to chase down, but you always know that there's someone who's just over your shoulder chasing you down. And yeah, I can't imagine that being at the front, how insanely difficult that's got to be. There's no moments where you're just like, oh yeah, you know, if you're racing to win a race, there's not one second where you aren't trying to go faster. And I think people don't really understand that. I'm not like taking a drink from my water bottle and like, you know, stopping to go for pee on the side. It's like full on for seven and a half hours. And it's exhausting mentally too. Well, I mean, to, to that question, um, so from the, the book and from some of your, your past races, it seems like, you know, you, you know, you're talking about how at something like Leadville or even at a 24 hour worlds that you're so focused and you're so pinned on the end goal. Um, you know, that there might just be that. Is there a loss of kind of the moment? Uh, do you in retrospect think, you know, that 24 hour race I did back when I first started, I really, you know, I missed out on the sunrise lap, which so many people who do 24 hours talk about how, how just like reinvigorating being out and seeing the sunrise can be to get you through those last six hours. Yeah, no, I'm seeing that stuff. You know, I'm hyper aware when I'm racing. And that's one of the things I really love about endurance sports is you, you do have a lot of time you're looking around, but that doesn't mean I'm like pedaling more slowly. I can still lift my head up and look with my eyes at the same time that I'm absolutely killing myself with my legs. And so I'm still soaking it all in. It's sort of at a numbed, you know, really high heart rate sort of a level. But that's what I love about, in, you know, adventure racing, endurance cycling, any of that stuff that I've done, the exploration part of it is what's really cool. So when you're, when you're deciding what races you're going to do, uh, you know, clearly you have sponsors that uh, you know, you have to, uh, perform for and, and make sure that you're, you're meeting up to those expectations. What, what are the races that you're totally stoked for? And what are the ones that you just dread? What are the ones that you're like, Oh man, this one's totally going to kick me to the curb. And what do you do to prepare for that? You know, what's been really cool is that none of my sponsors have ever like have ever said, you have to go do this race. And so that's sort of the beauty that I'm not a world cup racer or a road racer is that I've been able as an endurance cyclist, been able to kind of pick and choose the cool stuff that inspires me. And so I look at the calendar and I pick stuff as like, Oh, where do I want to go? I want to ride my bike in Morocco. Okay. Here's a race in Morocco. Or I want to go to Argentina. Oh, here's a race in Argentina. And so it's been pretty sweet to be able to like fill my passport and pick these cool places or, or, you know, even in the U S go to places that I want to ride a bike, because if it doesn't inspire me to go there, then I mean, kind of what's the point. The one exception, the one caveat was I was forced to go to the dirty Kanza one year, the first year I went, <laughs> which is a 200 mile uh, gravel road race. And I'd never done a gravel road event. And I specialized asked me to go and, I was like, are you kidding me? That'll be death by boredom. You know, the, the winning, <laughs> like the winning time is 12 hours on and which 12 hours is no big deal, but it's on gravel road. It's on, you know, almost a road bike. I'm like, are you kidding me? It's going to be horrible. And uh, I went cause I was asked to go 
And I've gone every year since now. I've won it three times, nice. and I'm going back again this year because there was something about – I didn't expect it. It's the middle of Kansas, and you're like, oh, my God, 200 miles in Kansas. But it's a really cool place, and I will say that gravel is kind of like mountain bike racing because it does keep your attention. There's no hiding in the gravel. You can't just sit in a road peloton, and that's what I thought it would be like, but I was wrong. So, you know, there's there's cool races everywhere, so I was wrong about that one. Can we just can we just rewind for a second there? And I want to I want to speak to the mere mar- mortals in our audience, like myself, who who just heard you say twelve hours is no big deal. Uh, yeah, that that made my soul hurt just a, just a little bit. Twelve hours that you're telling me that doesn't hurt at all. Oh yeah, it totally hurts. You know, but you know you're going to be in. You're going to have a dinner that night. You're going to be in a bed that night. You're going to take a shower the same day as the day you started. So you know, there's a lot of. It's all perspective of you know. Yeah, I'm going to have a shower and a meal and a beer in less than twelve hours. Right. Wow. You know, it's interesting to me what what you're saying is that you basically what you have is a different relationship with pain than the rest of us have. And that's, that's saying something. I mean, we, like you said, we all experience some level of, of misery and pain and it's what you do with it. That, that really makes you different from the, the rest of the crowd. And, you know, for me, when I'm, when I'm doing these things and it hurts, my, my, my mind flips back. It says, let's think about the burrito. Can we make the burrito happen sooner? You know, like how do we, how do we get the burrito in my hands quicker? And for you, it you seems pedal like faster. Oh. That's how you get right. to the burrito. Or you shorten the ride. <laughs> I got to have a talk with my yeah. legs because faster is not something it understands. <laughs> well, I, you, I mean, you, sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead. You're going to say something far more important. I'm sure. I was, I was probably going to ramble for a little bit. No, I, what I wanted to say was, I think there's, there's really something to be said for cultivating a relationship with pain. That's, that's healthy. And I think so many people go the opposite direction um, and, and do you think it from, from your perspective, was it just a matter of being raised as a, a cross country runner and then, you know, going through these, uh, succession of, of endurance sports that kind of got you to that point where you had this healthy relationship with pain and, and, and endurance? Mm, I think it's two part. I mean, even in high school, my first sport was running and I was definitely better at the cross country than I was track or the shorter stuff. And I will say what appealed to me about cross country races. I mean, they were two miles and they seemed an eternity in high school. You know, it's like takes 15 minutes or something. But what was cool about the cross country races, they're on grass. They're, every course is different. You don't know what's around the next corner. And that was like, that's my like wanderlust. I wanted to like do something new every time, but running around the circle in a track for two miles, that was kind of like a living hell for me. And so it's always been there, this feeling of wanting to see what's around the next corner. And I think that's what keeps me doing really long things is because I want to, I want to experience it and find races all over the world. And, um, but then I also think that it's a cumulative effect of, you know, it's like somebody who ran a 5k and okay, 5k is not so bad. So then they run a 10k. Okay. 10k is not so bad. And then all of a sudden they're running marathons. I think as we build and we start to see, Oh, I can do this. Oh, I can do this. Oh, I can do this. And it's a stepping stone. And so, you know, I could never have done a 24 hour mountain bike race when I first started, but you know, well, I guess I did in the first year that I started, but, um, But I had the, I had been racing seven day races for adventure racing. And so I had this like understanding that, yeah, I can go for a day, you know, but if I'd taken that to my high school self, there's no way I, I thought two miles was impossible. And then when I went to college and we ran three miles, it was like, oh my God, I can't race three miles. 
So it's you, we have to keep pushing our own limits to kind of discover what we are capable of. Is there really a possibility you're going to do Rebecca's private Idaho on like proper trail? Uh, it probably, I think Rebecca's private Idaho is going to stay, it'll stay the gravel grinder. Uh Um, there is a little single track section I might add in as like a bonus, you know, um, extra credit section on your cross bike. (laughs) But I think the longer term future is, yeah, I want to bring people here and we have great mountain biking. So I think that it's, you know, private Idaho stay as a gravel event because I like how it pulls in roadies and mountain bikers. Mm -hmm. Um, but then I could see, you know, I mean, the ultimate pie in the sky that Greg and I have talked about is a really cool, you know, mountain bike stage race around here because there's so much single oh, track. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, it would be fucking awesome. Yeah. So, you but, you know, those are, yeah, those are kind of things. And I think it's been good now that I, like, have an event. People in town know me. I have a reputation. And then it'd be cool to have the, the gravel event and a mountain bike event eventually in Idaho. Could you do like a catch him to Stanley point to point on single track? Yes. Oh. Like there'd be a couple little gravel road sections, but yeah, you could, you could get there. It would be really cool. I don't know that they'd let us race in the Boulder white clouds. That would be the, the tricky part because um, that's, that's an area that's, I don't know if you know, it's on the chopping block to be designated wilderness perhaps, oh, Okay. which is, it's kind of a big Imba issue right now. Um, and that's the one last section before you get to Stanley. So yeah, hosting an event on that. I don't know if it would bring the wrong kind of attention. I'm not sure, but we could definitely do a really cool, like clover leaf kind of thing out of Ketchum where every day's like goes a different direction and you just do a big hundred mile loop or whatever it is, you know, 50 mile loop. Um, I- I've always had the idea. I wanted to do this in Missoula was put on like an endurance mountain bike race where it's two segments that start at the same point uh-huh. and, and you split everyone up into, into like group A or group B and you mm-hmm. say, all right, group A, you're riding loop A first, then loop B second group B, you ride loop B first. Then oh, loop cool. B. And that way you never really know how well you're doing. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> that was, well, that's kind of how, what was the race they had in Colorado? Uh, Montezuma's. Do you remember that one? Uh, that was, I, I don't think I got down here while they still kind of had that going on. Um, but that was basically, there's, there's all these points and you choose, you know, nobody really got, got to all of them, but there's all these loops you decide within the time limit. I'm going to do this, this, and this. And it was almost impossible to do the whole thing, but you can choose what order you wanted to go in. So it was kind of the same thing. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I was yeah. Anytime you have the chance to just fuck with people's minds even more, I'm game for. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the the big the big news of 2015 for you has been your new relationship with the great company of Niner Bikes. Um, yeah. <laughs> so that was, you know, you were with Specialized for the better part of a decade, and then it's sort of. I mean, I, I don't remember how it wound up in my inbox, but. It's kind of like a me. bombshell. How did this <laughs> how did this relationship with Niner begin and then to kind of go further what are your new roles and what are you going to be doing with them aside from just racing and advocacy? Are you going to be product testing or what? Yeah, I mean, it it came about um, and basically like my long-term mechanic Jason Bauer who works at uh, G-Fit in Boise and he's been my adventure racing crew, he's been my all my 24-hour racing crew. Um 
he's really uh, has a close relationship with some guys at Niner and he's just like, you know, you should talk to these guys or super interested in talking to you. And so a conversation struck up and, you know, I've been with specialized 12 years and it's been awesome. Like, you know, I wouldn't be where I am today without those guys. But when Niner came to me and they really wanted me to be, like you said, part of the product testing, part of, you know, the development of what's going on there. And they were super stoked about, you know, what I had going on. And, you know, it's, it's hard to make a change after that long, but I look back at everything and I, I've done in my life and all the scariest, riskiest things have reaped the best reward. So, you know, it was a hard decision, but I decided to uh, make a change. And it's, I think it's actually going to be really cool. Um, you know, it's a much smaller company. So I feel like I'm going to have a bigger impact and be able to, you know, have a bigger voice there. And they've been, they've been great so far. I mean, I just got my first bike was delivered <laughs> um, a couple hours ago. Greg is down there working on it. Like the good husband he is. Um, Poor guy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's going to be really fun, but the and same you, stuff. There's, you, there's, go ahead. I was going to say, say, were you riding, were you riding 29ers pretty frequently before, or is this, is this sort of something new you're jumping into? No, I've been on 29ers for all my lead bills for probably five years now. I'm, I'm completely sold on 29ers. So the wheel size was no, there's no question. I, I'd never be going back down. So, um, and knowing that they're one of the first companies that was, you know, developing products in that wheel size is super exciting for me. Mm -hmm. Now, what about for, are you going to be able to play with their 29er plus? Do you have any plans for racing that or adventures on that? Yeah, I have one here already and I've been, I've been uh, riding it around in the snow, uh, dog walks and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I think there's a lot of categories. I mean, they've got a great gravel bike, um, which fits with Rebecca's private Idaho, obviously endurance mountain bikes, um, and the 29er plus is really interesting. I'm not totally sure yet how I'm going to use that bike, but you know, there's a lot of exploration to be had and it's, it's actually the lines are being blurred between, you know, a cross bike or a 29 plus or a 29 mountain bike. Um, and I really like being able to kind of access all those things. So it's kind of cool if you could, you know, blur the lines. I think it's fun. Yeah. And, um, and then so it is, and you're able to still maintain those relationships you had for like the the SRAM Gold Rush Tour and all your other existing. You're going to continue on with that as well, just with Niner now on board? Yeah, SRAM Gold Rush, Rebecca's Private Idaho, all the advocacy I do, um, all that stuff's going to stay the same, you know, and uh, it's just going to be on a different bicycle. That's all. Wonderful. Well, yeah, that's that's awesome. We're, at, we're big fans of Niner, so glad you're uh, – you're moving over there. Thanks. So I'm gonna I'm gonna speak to uh, the interview you did with Drunk Cyclist already on the on the big yellow page here. And for for the remainder of the interview, I'm gonna refer to you by your stripper name, which is Boots Midaw. Um, okay. So, because <laughs> um, you know, I ask the important question. You know, Andrew asks all the racing sponsors, that, and I ask you what kind of beer you like. Um, so that's that's what I'm here for. Um, now. <laughs> Because I'm irresponsible. Um, 
<laughs> so when you're doing, you know, these these endurance races, uh, we, you know, for those of you in the, in the listening audience, if you go to drunkcyclist.com, there's there's an interview with Rebecca uh, by Forty Hands, and it was it was pretty good. Uh, I would consider reading it if you have a few moments. And there's a great photo right at the top, the top here of you, uh, you know, shredding your your S works here. Um, what's in your bag? What are you carrying with you? Let's talk to the, the people who are, are tech geeks and and also carry with you why you carry it. Uh, get you through a, an endurance race. So that photo that's on the website that is um, the Cocapelli Trail. So that's the ride mm-hmm. I did, 134 miles from Moab to Fruta. Um, and I was going on sort of an individual time trial there trying to break the record. So mm-hmm. in my backpack, and the rules for that to break that record are you had to be self-contained. So no support on the trail, um, <clears throat> you know, no food handoffs, nothing like that. So I had a lot of stuff on the bike for a 13-and-a-half-hour ride. So I had a water purification, um, filtering water from the Colorado River. I had a rain jacket, some clothing, a spot tracking device so that I could prove that my ride was legit. Um, I had a couple tubes. Um, chain link, some chain lube, toilet paper, the all-important toilet paper, uh, <laughs> a bunch of food, mostly goo, chomps and gels, um, some Roctane. I had a Garmin, obviously, to try to follow the route. Um, light and motions on my head in the daylight. That's why I have a headlight on. I started at midnight for that ride. And so, um, and I didn't want to stop because I was going for time. I didn't stop and take the light off or do anything like that. So, um but yeah, it was. I mean, it was as light as I could possibly be um, for that uh, length of a ride, but still make sure that I could take care of the bike and myself uh, for the duration. I can't. I can't see in the picture, but where where is your flask of whiskey? <laughs> I was that waiting was at the end. The end. Yeah, that was at the end. <clears throat> and there was that's, one that's waiting another... for me. Okay. Well, that's important. It's sad that's, though. No, it was really sad because I actually passed out at the finish line because I'd, I'd been without water for a couple hours because um, I on purpose skipped the last point to get water because I didn't want to go out of the way a mile. And so I took a gamble and I knew I'd be without water for the last couple hours. Um, and I had also ripped my finger open um, in a crash. And so when I got to the end, you know, the adrenaline started to wear off. I took my glove off and saw my bloody finger and, uh, and basically the dehydration was hitting me and I was, I went almost went face down in the dirt, but Greg caught me right before he's like, you were going to break your nose too. <laughs> right. So what stunk Jeez. is I did that whole ride and then I ended up in the emergency room dealing with all that. And, uh, oh, God. I'm in my chamois and my bike's using the emergency room and they're trying to take care of me. And they're like, your electrolytes are low and this and this and this. I'm like, would you just fix my finger? Like the, all the other stuff I <laughs> I did to myself. Like, I know that my, like all these other counts, I did it to myself. I just want you to fix my finger. And then the guy was like, well, if you're going to need surgery, you can't eat anything. And that's the first time that, that for that whole ride, like going through the night, everything, I, my lights went out, my fingers broken. And, uh, <clears throat> first time I cried was when in the hospital, he's like, well, you can't eat anything if you're going to have surgery. And I just started crying because I just wanted a burger and beer. And I was so yeah. sad. And the the nurse, it was a male nurse. He had no bedside manner. <laughs> he was like, "Well, you got an IV. Like, what else do you want?" Quit, quit complaining. Wow. <laughs> and that man is dead now. 
I imagine. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Merce died. Wow. Wait, so did you I, have to have... I think it's between me and a burger. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah did you I have know. to have surgery? Yeah, they basically, they had to basically really... Because uh, I did what they call... What's called an open dislocation. So I dislocated my index finger so far back that it ripped the underside of the finger. Okay. So there was like open skin and like tendons hanging out and, you know, it was really gross. So they had to have a hand specialist, like go in there and like fix it all up and everything. So I have this finger that actually kind of looks like a Cocapelli now. That's my souvenir from, from that ride. Okay. Yeah. I, I had to, I shattered my, I shattered a finger back in 2004 and had to have surgery on it. It's still depending upon like the weather and all that, it won't work. So yeah, I feel you on fingers that. are gnarly. Yeah, it's weird, and then like, you have to re- like, you have like to relearn how to type. Them. Yeah, it's that. That's the worst part about it. Is I mean, searching for pornography becomes ten times harder. Oh, yeah, like in a in a blizzard, you can't <laughs> flip people off, or like, how does that work? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, ba- All right back to the real stuff. Now that we've yeah. already talked about pornography, um, so in the uh, so something. You mentioned in the book, and you briefly touched on in our Yellow Page interview, your future plans for some bike packing. What can you tell us about that? You know, I've had my eye on the Colorado Trail Race for a long time and also the Arizona Trail Race. There's something about those long, self-supported. I think this Cocapelli ride really kind of was the tip of the iceberg for me. It was the first one I'd done, and it, I felt like it brought back my adventure racing experience of, you know, navigating and finding my own way and not having someone hand me a water bottle. Like I had to be totally self-sufficient and I really like that. And so Cocapelli kind of sparked the interest for me to do some longer stuff. So I, I definitely think that, you know, Colorado Trail Race in my future, Arizona and some other stuff I've kind of been online searching around all sorts of things, but really I feel like I want to explore on my bike and I want to, you know, see what's out there and go long and take care of myself. Um, I mean, I like the races, you know, the 24 hour races going in circles for 24 hours, you know, I'm I'm a little bit over that. I kind of want to go point to point now and go kind of see how far I can go and go days on end on my bicycle. And that's the coolest thing about the bike. You know, people are like, well, why don't you run anymore? It's like, we can go so much further on a bike. You can see more and you can like get around the next hill or over the next mountain a lot faster than you can on foot. I've always said the wheel was invented for a reason. Exactly. Have you, uh, have you had some, some good discussions with Jay Peterberry about, uh, the endurance fat biking? Yeah, I actually just went and did his race, the fat pursuit a couple weeks ago, um, on the, you know, the border of Idaho there. And that was 16 and a half hours, 17 hours. Um, and yeah, he's trying to talk me into, you know, I did a bike and some of the snow stuff. I think for now, you know. I kind of want to do some warm weather stuff, but exploring the bike. But yeah, Jay's the man. I mean, he's been really cool about sharing his experience and he comes from adventure racing background too. So I think we're sort of, we're cut from the same cloth, except he's a little more out there than I am. (laughs) (laughs) What's the, what's the, what's the female equivalent to like an unruly beard for, for adventure racing? You know, like every, all these adventure racers have an unruly beard. What do you, what's the female equivalent of that? Like big gloves or something or like long hair? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> probably like really hairy armpits you know you get back and you're like god i gotta clean this up man <laughs> this is this, this needs to be cordoned off we need to take care yeah. of this. yeah 
that's an insider tip from drunk cyclist right there, folks. <laughs> Sorry, Andrew, I cut you off as usual. No, I was, <laughs> yeah, you, it's, you, it's the role you were born to play. Um, I know. I, I, we worked well together. Do you and, <laughs> would you and Jay ever like just throw down one-on-one some kind of point-to-point race in Idaho for like Idaho endurance cycling supremacy? Ooh, that's, you know, I'd probably be more apt to team up with Jay because I don't really want to have to race him, but <laughs> I have asked him, like there was this race in South Africa they were putting on called the Munga that was supposed to be like a million dollars. I don't know if you guys heard about that. Yeah, yeah I think Bernie Madoff was the, uh, was the main sponsor, right? I I, yeah, it it isn't happening this year, you know. Yeah. Yet. So I actually approached Jay. I'm like, oh, we should do this, and he blew me off. So, you know, Jay didn't want to race with me. I guess he found somebody else. How dare Maybe he? Didn't, that means he didn't yeah, want to race the with the girl. Been that means yeah, the exactly. been thrown. You got to kick his ass now. Yeah, you should go go stomp him at the uh, at the Fitz barn or the yeah the Fitz barn or the barn Fitz this year. I'll stomp him. I can stomp him somewhere. I feel okay. like I can. You got to talk shit now because you know we're, now we're going to have to get Jay on the show and he's going to have to talk shit back and then we're going to build this up until it's, it's inevitable that you guys have to race head to head. That's how it this works. It just has to be really long, but I mean he's really good at long stuff too. That would be actually a really good race. It'd be really interesting to see what happens. Would you ever consider trying to to try and attempt his what he did for his No Idol tour a few years back? Do you know what that is? Yeah, I know about his No Idol tour. You know, I think Jay's, like I said a little earlier, I think he's a little bit more crazy than I am. And there's <laughs> a part of me that, like I said, I really need to go places that inspire me. But, you know, it's why I've never done the Tour Divide, you know, because there's long sections of that that or, that look really boring. Or I've never done um, Ram, Race Across America, because there's a section in the middle of the country just seems really boring. And well, so, you thought that about Kansas, and then look what happened. I know. Maybe I was wrong, but I think Jay's just okay with, like, boring train. He has some <laughs> other level in his mind that he can, just, he can just go to another place. I can't always do that. I sort of need, like, beautiful scenery whizzing by. All right. Well, while we're on the topic of people, so we could probably say that this interview kind of came about when we threw your name out there as our top four people in the cycling world. Thank you. I was very honored. Yeah, I, like I meant every word that I said. Um, who's who's in your top four? I mean, clearly us. <laughs> yeah, I mean, does it have to only be mountain bikers, or can it be? Um, it could be anybody. Any, yeah, any cyclist or yeah, two wheels, no motor. Two wheels, no motor. Okay, no motor. Okay. Um, well, first Marla Streb was kind of my first like heroine hero whatever you call a female hero um in mountain biking i don't know if you've ever read her book but basically she was a total badass and one of the first women racing downhill um you know super smart she quit her job you know is basically science research and uh ended up racing mountain bikes and you know kicking all the guys asses and and she's really cool she's still involved in the sport she helps mentor the luna chicks team and she was kind of, uh, for me, one of the first women I was aware of who was actually riding really strong and doing cool things. Um, so she's first on the list. Uh, another woman, Ina Yoko Teutenberg. You might not, uh, she's a road racer. And uh, I call her the German honey badger. Um, she's the most decorated female road racer, you know, basically that I know of, um, has basically 
set the bar really high for women road racers. And I, I got to know her because she came to race Leadville one year and she came, it was three weeks after the Olympics, after, you know, winning an Olympic medal, coming there and basically, um, deciding to do Leadville and I got to ride with her for part of the race. And, uh, it was cool. She's like, ah, you're, I'm going to help you break your own record. And she was just such a badass. We were in the middle road section, you know, she's just like, get behind me, you know, yelling at me in this German, thick German accent. And she's super intimidating. So, you know, I fell in right behind her just like, thank you. Thank you for giving me a pull. And there's this line of dudes all behind us all just latching on. And then we just one by one, she kept dropping them. And then finally she yelled at me. She's blown up at that point. She's like, you go now. And I'm like, okay, okay. <laughs> you know, and I just like, <laughs> and I went on to win and break my record. And, but she's super cool woman and really strong and also mentoring for a lot of the young girls in road racing. Um, but yeah, German honey badger, Ina. Sounds like um, German Yvonne Drago of cycling. She kind of is. First- like you're yeah, <laughs> that comes up in Google. It's like he's gushing blood from the side of her head. This, yeah. She's like a badass, and she could kill Carl Weathers. <laughs> she, yeah, she is she is hard hardcore. Yeah, absolutely. Um, she's pretty awesome. I would actually maybe put her on my twenty four hour mountain bike race team too. Leadville was her first mountain bike race. So she, you like you yeah, kick Greg off the team and bring on Ina. Yeah, that would be hard. Who would I kick off? Maybe Jen. We kick off Jennifer Smith because she is a baby and she probably wouldn't be able to go anyway. Mm. <laughs> As you know. <laughs> I love this. All right, so that's that's two. That's two. You, got, you got two more? Oh, dang. Um, yeah. Two well, more yeah. female cyclists. Georgia Gould, pretty amazing woman. Um, she has Idaho roots as well. She used to be a banjo player and then decided to pick up mountain biking and uh, you know went to the Olympics. That was all. Makes sense. Um, yeah, and she's a did, she's a very she well rounded like person. Did she has to trade in the banjo for the bike. Like she's no longer allowed to to play the banjo. No, that's what's cool about her. She cooks. She's a chef. She plays banjo. She's really funny. Sells jokes. You know, I, like she's not this one sided. You know, automaton cycling World Cup racer. She's actually kind of a really well rounded person. Um, I've so seen that's, her race. She's she's total badass. I, I agree with you on Georgia Gould. Yeah, she's pretty awesome. Um, good, good choice. Yeah, and who else can I pick? So we have Ina, Georgia, Marla, man. You can pick a guy, but we'll judge you for it. I mean, it's oh, fine. I can we, pick a guy. We won't. The masses may, but we certainly <laughs> won't judge you for picking a guy. <laughs> I wasn't prepped for this question on the interview. How could you? Really? We- you know, all right, I'm going to pick Greg Martin as my, my – Oh, girl. God. You know, I know it's really cheesy, but the guy can ride a bicycle, and he puts up with me, which is not very easy, you know. Um, he puts up with my crap, so it's a good thing. I guess we can let you off. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he, I mean, yeah, you can't really – it's hard to bag on a firefighter, too. I know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he learned to ride a bike in Virginia. So anyone who learns to ride a bike <laughs> out east is just way better than everybody else. They are. That, hey, Dan, that high five, high five through the wall. Everybody else. Yes. Yeah. Dan and I both learned to ride bikes back east. See. Rebecca Rush just said, "I'm better than you, everybody." Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can just retire now. That was that was all I needed. I know. Right now, the score is uh, is. D two and forty hands one life zero. 
<laughs> well, as someone who's like technically lacking in skill, everyone I know who learns to ride out east, like I know I'll never get there. I'll never be able to, you know, be that comfortable on roots and rocks and stuff because I wasn't born into it like like you guys were. What I, what I want you to do, this is your homework. Um, I want you to go to the state of Maine, and I want you to go to Rose Bike Shop in Orono, Maine, and I want you to ask Jim to take you to King Root. It's a trail. Oh, it sounds horrible. It is the. It's awful. It's it's pretty much the worst thing you'll ever go through. I don't want to hear about this endurance crap. You go to King Root and let that kick your ass for a couple of weeks, and then you'll you will basically be the best bike handler you you've ever met. So do that. That's uh, that's my completely unofficial and useless uh, advice that you can ignore as soon as you hang up the phone call. No, I need to go to school out east. I've thought this for a while. It, go to Maine. It's amazing. It's beautiful. Have you been to Maine? Uh, only to eat, uh, you know, lobster and crab and stuff, but not to so, ride bikes. So that's your 12-hour motivation when you cross the finish line <laughs> in 12 hours. You can have a lobster, <laughs> but first got to ride King Root. But, yeah, oh. go back. It's, it's, it's worth it for a lot of reasons, the lobster being one of those reasons. But, uh, yeah, you totally get the, uh, the, the technical skills. I mean, it sounds like Idaho really, really screwed you there. I'm sorry, Idaho. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's worse places to have to have to live and ride bikes. Are you kidding no, me? I, I, I totally agree. That's that's one place on the list where the wife and I we wake up and just say, yeah, we'd we'd go there in a heartbeat if money were no object. Yeah, you can run podcasts out of Idaho. Yeah, I can't yeah. unfortunately do my job out of Idaho. Uh, yeah. So you, you grew up in Ketchum, right? No, that's where I live now. Right? Didn't you read the book? Oh. She's from Illinois. Yeah, I, I haven't read the Midwesterner. That's right. You grew up in Chicago, right? Or outside mm-hmm. of Chicago? That's right. Okay. Yeah, I have not read your book, and I'm embarrassed because uh, I, I honestly, well, I'm just embarrassed. Um, yes, but, good preparation uh, for an interview, not to actually read the book that I just <laughs> published. <laughs> don't judge me. Don't judge me. I haven't even read my books. So I, don't feel too offended. I, I read it, and I paid retail. Nice. Yeah, Thank yeah. you very much. So I hope you. Uh... If it, if it makes you feel better as a result of this interview, I'm going to read your book. So, All right. Let me know how you think. That's, that's something. Yeah. I'm going to drink it with a lot of whiskey. But, you know. There you go. Least, that's yeah. how it's meant to be experienced. Yeah. I, that's how what I say about my books. The drunker you get, the better they are. <laughs> I can attest to that because I've read your books. Yeah. You did. I'm sorry. I feel like I have to apologize to everybody that's read my book. No. All right. So, actually, I, have, I think I have one one last kind of serious question. Um, so, I mean, Rebecca, you've done everything from, you know, f- multiple time Leadville champ with course records. You fucking boogie boarded the Colorado river with <laughs> two other women. Um, you gotta you know, read the book, man. You, I mean, <laughs> I'm so embarrassed. It's awful. <laughs> yeah. She fucking boogie boarded the, the Colorado river. Everything you say right now is such a surprise to me. I'm like, what? That's awesome. I want to hear more about it. And you're like, just read the book, asshole. Like, <laughs> and, and you kind of, I mean, you talk about your days where you were the true sort of just mountain bum. Um, you know, now you, you got a, you got a steady life with a, you know, nice, nice, just gig riding bikes and doing advocacy and putting on races. Do you ever just think back and say, fuck it. I want to go live in, I want to go live out of my Bronco again and just just do whatever I want, whenever I want, and with as minimal obligations as possible. 
You know, I feel like that's what I get to do when I go on these long stage races or go on expedition or, you know, and that's kind of exactly your question is where my cycling's going now. I want to go do some of those big adventures where I don't have a cell phone. I don't have any, you know, anything for a month or so. So, yeah, I feel like I'm going to like start doing expeditions on the mountain bike, kind of like mountaineers do or, you know, the climbers who go to Patagonia and they stay there all winter. I kind of feel like that's where I'm going, you know, and I'll, I have the house to come home to, which is really cool to like, the worst part about living in my truck was that you never unpack, you know, you never have this sense of place to come home to. And so I've loved having that in Idaho, like come home, I'm home for a day, I'm pack my stuff, do my laundry, you know, and then I always want to head back out again. And so it's kind of the best of both worlds, but it's what keeps me kind of looking for the next adventure and looking for the next thing. Cause yeah, I can't just stay here and just, you know, walk the dog and mow the lawn and, you know, take out the garbage. And, you know, I do that stuff when I'm home and I like the like downtime, but then I'm always planning what's next. Fair enough. So, so you're saying you're gonna just, your adventures in the future are going to blow us all away. Yeah, yeah, okay. they are. <laughs> I'm doing a really big one, and uh, I'm leaving in February with Greg for a really big ride. It'll be the biggest thing I've ever done in my life, so you'll hear more about that soon. Well, we we obviously will wish you the best of luck with that. Thanks. Yeah. So, Rebecca, we're heading up in uh, almost an hour here, but um, I, uh, I want to see, first of all, what's the state of your whiskey? Is it, you, you get the, at the bottom of that glass, at least? Oh yeah, I'm like it's way gone. It's super empty. It's a bummer. Did you did you refill it? You're on. You're on. Come on, you're in the drunk cyclist interview. We can't have you with an empty well, glass. Well, I went into my office and you know the bottle's downstairs. So we better end this really soon. <laughs> you don't have you don't have one of those like waiters bells where you just you ring and and Greg, and Greg comes running. Greg, no, Greg stops. <laughs> he stops building your then bike. He will be a hero. I mean that's hero shit right there. <laughs> Greg's uh, you. I've I have had the privilege of meeting Greg. I, I can honestly say he is he is someone whose life I'm completely jealous of. Because <laughs> he's married to me, you know. Amongst other things. <laughs> like I said, I mean, he's he's a fucking firefighter. You can't like. I mean, you're you're loved by men and women alike for that. You know. It's true. And I mean, that's that's quite the. I mean, it's it's far more. Uh, it's it's a much better gig than I have, in my opinion. So. It's better than being a writer. Absolutely. I can attest to that. Oh, <laughs> uh, Dan, your audio cut out for me. Talk louder. Oh, he's gone. We lost yeah, him. Yeah, Dan, your audio cut out. Can you hear me? No, he's. I, I can see him on Skype. He's just talking to nothing. Oh. Oh, he's picking his nose. So maybe he can hear us. But yeah. Oh, well, I guess that's <laughs> he's he's giving me thumbs up. <laughs> I guess. Um, all right. So now he's giving me a finger. It's it's the role he was made to play. Um, all right. Well. So yeah, we're coming up on an hour. But Rebecca, one last thing. You you told us to build your your build your perfect six pack. Uh, yeah. Rewind, right now we're doing the drunk cyclist beer map um, for, for all fifty <laughs> states, just so everyone has beer recommendations um, for Idaho. Tell me, A, the beer you just absolutely have to have if you're in that state, and B, the best trail beer on a bike ride, so it's got to be canned. Oh, man. See, this is where I need Greg to come up. The best Idaho beer, Sawtooth Brewery, probably they're local here. Okay. 
Um, if you come to Ketchum, you can uh, enjoy Sawtooth Brewery. Um, and then, I mean, Coors has to be the, you know, the best sort of ride beer in your pack. Hmm. Interesting. Hmm. Interesting. You're judging me. It's okay. No, we care. only, no, out here in Colorado, we only drink Coors, uh, Coors when it's, uh, when the donkeys are on. So, well, see, it used to be PBR, but then now I'm like, kind of, I'm, I'm kind of over PBR right now. So you stopped going to Grumpy's getting the goblets. Mm-hmm. No, Grumpy's, you can get different beers in... Oh, uh, in the goblet? <laughs> <laughs> you can get any sort of beer in the goblet, yeah. They oh, call okay. it sco- the schooner. And then at Lefties, you can get the giant beer, too, that's about the same size as the schooner, but I don't know what they call it. And you can put anything in that. Oh, okay. So so when you come to Ketchum, come to Lefties, you can go there and, uh, you know, Greg has a personal mug that is stored there with his name on it. Um, a lot of the firefighters do, so we can show you around when you come visit. Okay. Well, um, all right. So in the backpack, you got the can of the Coors Banquet. Mm-hmm. All right. Perfect. On that note, I guess we will, uh, we'll consider that a wrap. We're going to thank you for taking the time. Is there anything else you want to, uh, to add in there? Yeah, if people want me to sign a book and uh, personalize it to them, they can go on my website and uh, grab a book. And maybe you need to get one, too, because clearly you haven't read it. Hey, um, no, I've read it. Dan hasn't. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, Dan. Oh, we can't hear him anymore. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, if people want to get a book, they want to see uh, about Swim in the Grand Canyon, um, RebeccaRush.com, they can get one there, and I'll, I'll put a personal note in it for them. Okay, great. Awesome. Uh, thank you for taking the time to talk to us. Uh, really appreciate it. And we're really stoked about this new adventure you have in February that we're going to hopefully hear more about in the next few months. That'd be awesome. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you. <laughs> See ya. Bye. All right. Thank you very much for taking the time to listen to that wonderful interview with the one and only Rebecca Rush. And once again, big thank you to Rebecca for taking the time to chat with us and deal with our useless, worthless, and stupid questions. Yeah, I, I feel like I asked the obligatory stupid questions, especially having not actually read her book. Which it really in, made gr- for great theater. Right, in, in true drug cyclist <laughs> fashion, I came completely unprepared for this interview. I know, and I had notes and all that. I had read the book. I debated rereading the book to, to find to double-check some right, stuff. And right. now you, you're like, what? You wrote yeah. a book? Well, as, as an author, I feel it's, it's appropriate to, you know, actually to only not, know about your own books. Right. <laughs> not read anybody else's material before asking them questions about said material. So, you know, I, I feel like I thoroughly embarrassed myself, but I got drunk, so who cares? Exactly. Right. And, and as always, we are indebted to the wonderful folks at Mountain Bike Radio for giving us this platform. So if you like what you hear or if you hate what you hear, uh, especially that, go support Mountain Bike Radio. Yeah. But the more you support them, the quicker you can get us kicked off the air. Right. Um, buy stuff, get memberships, uh, donate to sponsors, so on and so forth. Review the app at, through uh, iTunes so Ben can get some feedback and he can uh, have more things to do in his free time. Yep. And uh, more importantly, ride bikes, drink beer, go fuck yourself, etc. and so forth. You guys uh, have yourself a fine uh, good morning, good evening, good night, and thank you for listening to us babble on for an hour.